This is the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. It is quite groovy, isn't it, that piece of music? Got an odd from Tamar. Uh, Tamar Muntreddy for Mediastick coming up very, very shortly. Um, I just had myself a bit of a think a little while ago. Imagine a world without war. Name one. A world without war? No, a war. I know it's not fun to be in Gaza on occasion. I know it's not that much fun in parts of Sur um, Somalia. Syria is a bit problematic. It's problematic, but if that is kind of mop mopping up and Bashar al-Assad, uh, probably the best of a bad bunch to have prevailed... Um, yes, although where I, is it? Where is the armed conflict? Where is an army fighting another army? I do wonder whether this is about the modern existence. I have just finished watching the Ken Burns documentary on the Vietnam War, uh, which good, I, isn't it? Oh, wasn't it amazing? Yeah. But it did strike me that that was one of the last. We seem to be phasing out hand-to-hand -hand combat. Congo, Congo was about the worst since World War Two. Right, so we're getting more and more distant. So even that was only about five, six years ago. It, it was, wasn't it? Mm. Then Darfur and North Sudan, South Sudan, they've settled that. I know it's not bear and skittles still for bits of that, but where is the war? Mm. I just thought maybe we're missing a moment. In human that history. we should be celebrating. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do wonder about the people that are sort of living in occupied yeah. areas might be, sure. might, might not exactly. celebrate with us. But, but it's, it's still, you know, name name an international conflict. Mm. It's um, <laughs> it's worth... Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, this week hasn't been without conflict. But yes, no, I take your point. I take your point. Yeah. An army an shooting army. at another army. Yeah. With it's a general cyber, somewhere. It's all about cyber war for you, though, now, Graham. It's all drones, and it's all from a distance, yeah. and it's cyber warfare, Yeah. you know. Good. Yeah, no, no, maybe. In comparison. Isn't it? To the hell. Yeah. 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 All right. Ring the church bells. Okay. Um, later on this evening, um, why do people shrink when they get older? Uh, I found someone who knows the answer. Is, is it gravity? It is, actually. Mm. It is to do with gravity. Um, this was brought to mind as a question when I was watching uh, Would I Lie to You? The somewhat entertaining comedian. Ow! Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I think this gab's come off. I'll tell you about that later. Ow, 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 ow. Um... <laughs> when I was watching But I Lie to You. Ronnie Corbett was a guest and he was asked... How, how tall were you at 14? Um, a little bit. <laughs> Taller than I am now. <laughs> so why do we shrink? How does it happen? We found someone who knows the answer why. Also, the life and legacy of a great New Zealander, Paul Callaghan, uh, died... 
gosh, so young. Uh, complications, bowel cancer, 2013, I think it was. One of the values of science is that knowledge is never to be feared. There's an in inherent, if you like, faith in science that knowledge per se is never to be feared. And I, I feel if, if, for me, approaching my disease, I've looked at it that way. I've wanted to learn as much about it as possible, what's happening inside me. A and to be interested in it is to overcome the fear. I just find that works for me. I'm not saying it would for everybody. But it is part of the way that a scientist tends to look at the world. Uh, nature is violent and cruel and, you know, lives can be cut short very, very quickly. And that's the pattern of things. So to have life at all, to have life every day is uh, something to be uh, you know, en enjoyed and treasured. Paul Callahan, Dancing with Adams, uh, is the excuse we give to talk about his life with the director of that movie, which is on at the International Film Festival. Keep your ears peeled for the opportunity to win double passes. Next up, Tamar Munk. Oh, it's settled down now so I can explain. I came off the bike and there's quite a bit of blood. People pointed and laughed. They must have known who I was. Um, and I just, got, oh, I just banged the knee right on it. Oh. Right on it. Right on it. Ooh. Welcome along, folks. This is the Weekend Variety. What's it? The baby understands. Well, singer Fugal hides in the south. You're not on Twitter. Al-Qaeda is a lethally dangerous man. Well, we played two things at once there. That's clever, isn't it? One of the things that I've become particularly obsessed... Three. Three. <laughs> it's all happening. Media stick with Tamar Munk, how are you? I'm very well. All right. Oh, first up, media-wise, I want to give a big hats off, well done, round of applause, ring some church bells for Stuff's new reporter reporting on things conservation. I'm a bit of a nature nerd. Um, it's brilliantly re researched, eloquently written and utterly fascinating stories. Name I've of read person? Three. Charlie Mitchell. Okay. Well done, Charlie Mitchell. Noses apples. Could be a her. Could be. No, I don't think it is. Could be a her. Could be a her. Just going to throw that in there. Yeah, yeah. Don't know. Fair enough. I think I saw a picture of him. Oh, but yeah. then again, you can't even tell if that now. Then, that's can you? right, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it depends who we identify as, but what the hell. Um, <laughs> just a really, really good, well-researched, informed article. Um, a, a species that had to die to save the kakapo. That's brilliantly, brilliantly wow. done. Ten species you've never heard of on the brink of extinction, things like that. He knows his phyllocladus from his Macropiper excelsum. He's very, very, very good. So, hats off. Well done, Charlie Mitchell. Uh, wish I could have actually pulled a rug from under my conservation feet quite easily, actually. <laughs> Damn you, Charlie Mitchell. Good on him. OK, uh, Tamar, your friend who made a fake restaurant that was yeah, my, so popular my, that nobody could go to it. My close personal friend from the internet. Yes. Um, this is Uber Butler, uh, who's a young... British guy and yeah made a made a put a restaurant on uh created a restaurant basically created a, a persona of a restaurant and put it on TripAdvisor mm. and it just got all the great reviews pretty much fake reviews that he sort of orchestrated himself and through his mates and then he actually ended up creating the restaurant uh and it was basic it was in the backyard of his flat yeah. it's, it's pretty crappy flat in London and people would be blindfolded as they were taken into this sort of you know garden setting and it was all very whatever and they were basically being served frozen meals and soup in a cup 
but it was all kind of delivered with a certain yeah. flair. This is just so edgy and it's just so exclusive. The more, this, it is so exclusive. It was booked out for weeks. Yeah. You couldn't get a booking. It's the et place to be. So you just wrap it up like that and Cup of Noodles turns into this experience, doesn't it? Yeah. And it, he absolutely fooled people. Absolutely. And uh, I was thrilled the other day when I came across this because he's done it again. This time, um, basically cracking Paris Fashion Week with a fake fashion label. It was mm. genius. Absolutely lovely. Here he is. This is knockoff brands. Pierre Klein, Pierre Calvini. But there's one that I love more than any of those, Giorgio Peviani. Who is Giorgio Peviani? I like Giorgio Peviani because it doesn't even really sound like Giorgio Armani, does it? The logo looks absolutely nothing like it. But people are still buying his jeans. Giorgio Peviani is doing everything that a successful fashion designer needs to do apart from existing. To help Giorgio Peviani reach his full potential, I'm going to become him and go to Paris Fashion Week. So the first step was making a website. www.giorgiopeviani.com. Play on the computer for a little bit. We're online. I get some cards done. All of my networking tools at my fingertips. So the last step was buying a stack of Giorgio's jeans and heading to Paris. Can I get an entrance card for Paris Fashion Week? I arrived into this center and Giorgio Peviani, the designer, slapped down the card and just act casual. Five minutes later, they come back and hand me this. Giorgio Peviani has got himself an entrance. Giorgio Peviani, nice to meet you. Oh, boys. thank you. Cheers. My Giorgio Peviani. Yeah. Giorgio Peviani. My emails are filled with people inviting Giorgio Peviani to their events. Are they going to let Giorgio Peviani into the after party? Are people killed to be at these parties? Like, they're surely they're not going to let a man who doesn't exist into them. Oh, yes, they do. Yeah. And his targets are wonderful. His targets are basically pomposity. Yeah. And pomposity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Models that are so far up their own uh, jacksy that you don't... Yeah, it is, it's really amusing. Yeah. But he found the actual. Yes, he did, which Giorgio was a Paviani. lovely little end bit. Yeah. So he basically cracked Paris Fashion Week, and people um, loved his jeans yeah. there, which were these. And him. He, oh yeah. yeah, and he was walking around in terrible shorts and a terrible outfit and all the rest. I mean, it was all very fashion. Yeah. Um, but at the very end of the um, piece, it wrapped it up with with him going to visit this little shop in London. Because yeah, it's that the shop that actually makes the knockoff brand Giorgio Paviani. And <laughs> here he goes. Who is Giorgio Paviani? So I Google his name, and after three pages of scrolling through results, I see something. An address that's in London. I am the real Giorgio Paviani. I own the Giorgio Paviani brand. Patel, yeah, just one. Patel! So do you remember the moment that you came up with the name Giorgio Paviani? Uh, well, we were looking into the names and then we decided, like, OK, Giorgio Paviani sounds nice, it looks good. How do you feel about me having called myself Giorgio Paviani and gone to Paris Fashion Week? I was happy that somebody's <laughs> at least had to look into it and thought that this brand can move further. So now we've been trying to do a media campaign on the Giorgio Paviani. It's good that you said that, because we've done something for you. Yes, got him to Fashion Week, right at the hilt yeah. of high fashion. And his shop, to give you a picture, is a really, really small little shop, looks like in Putney 
or something like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a little Indian tailor. Yeah. Just delightful. Delightful little story. I have a story I may as well regale about a, a part I played in high fashion. Yes. I went to Sydney with some friends. It was unusually cold. I had quite short shaven hair um, and my head was really cold and I didn't have a hat. I forgot to bring a hat. It was really cold and so um, this friend had a handbag and it didn't have much in it and just transfer was in the handbag. The handbag was a vinyl weird looking thing, two handles. So I put the handle, I put the bag on my head mm -hmm. with the handles hanging down each side of my ears. Mm -hmm. I didn't really mind how what I looked like. Mm. Um, it was, it kept my head warm and that was great. And I just kept a straight face and kept it on for the evening. Went to a few clubs, things like that. People made comments, this is really cool look, that's great, that's amazing. Oh, you, it, it, oh unbelievable. The next day, or the next evening, I saw someone else with Shush. a vinyl handbag on their head. I'd started a fashion revolution. Amazing. That lasted that evening, I think. But I, somebody else put one on. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. True story. Oh, the World Cup, that's over. Um, one thing I wanted to remind you of, how good uh, this commentator was. He was waiting for this to happen. Running it for Selko. Here's Mbappé! Oh, my word! Teenage kicks! The ultimate teenage kick! The boy with the world at his feet! Kylian Mbappé! There ain't no stopping him now! The first teenage World Cup final goal since Teenage Kicks, the oh. undertones, famous song, John Peel's favourite. Um, so there we are. Peter Drury, he did a fantastic job during the World Cup. OK, now in the World Cup, some of the reporters uh, found are finding it difficult, particularly the female style. Yeah, although it's worth noting that Lloyd Burr also experienced harassment on camera. He got a whole pint in he his got a face whole and carried on. Face. So it's, yeah. uh, it, to be fair, it's yeah. not just females, but, no. but I think it seemed like it was majority females. And um, I just, I saw this report online and, and there was actually an acknowledgement from FIFA that they had an account of at least 30 female reporters who had been harassed or groped while reporting on camera. Um, and in response to this, uh, a group of the Brazilian female sports journalists have come out with this new campaign, which is hashtag let her work, mm. um, basically going, leave us alone. Um, Andrew Savile's irresistible in the field. You ca I can't, if I, I can't walk past him without poking him <laughs> while he's uh, camera. Pardon me. Um, you carry on. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I think it's the difference between... Uh, you sometimes get it with a New Zealand reporter and they're down a suburban street and the kids are sort of doing peace signs in the background That's kind great. of thing. That's a cultural right. That's a cultural right, but the sort of come up and grab and yeah. grope and kiss is pretty gross. And to be fair, what happened to Lloyd is pretty gross as well. So I think that that uh, one could say is let the journalists work, but but it yeah. is definitely a problem that the, the female reporters were experiencing. And Yeah, well, that English football thug didn't cop a feel. 
No. Of Lloyd? No, he didn't it's cop- a bit Exactly, exactly. I mean, it, it's not very nice having beer no. thrown over you, but yeah, exactly. Um, and he, that, that guy actually felt like he was a little bit aggressive. You know, it could have gone badly. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think, have you got an interview with... Yeah, sure. Um, Kethavane Goriastani. Wow. Who is the France 24 channel sports editor mm. um and so she was obviously on the ground reporting and she was doing an interview um with her sort of home broadcaster talking about this as an issue yeah she doesn't leave gaps and she doesn't stop i couldn't edit it we just have to pull up stumps at some stage you'll get the picture folks here now, she goes Kitivan, uh, two weeks into the competition you and some of your colleagues have repeatedly had to deal with unacceptable behavior from some fans the entire france 24 newsroom is of course uh, standing with you in full solidarity but can you tell us a little bit more about the challenges that a female reporter is facing in this kind of environment well, unfortunately, uh, these types of uh, behaviors from fans are uh, nothing new, and they're actually uh, pretty uh, common. Uh, it's not uh, specific to Russia. It's happened in uh, different uh, places, different countries. And uh, really, uh, the problem is that this is, of course, uh, football. It's a festive atmosphere. There's also uh, usually a lot of alcohol involved, but there are kind of two categories of uh, these types of fans. They're the ones who uh, don't believe they're doing anything wrong, who think it's cute uh, to uh, give a kiss to a female reporter who's uh, on air that will do anything to get in front of uh, the camera and who uh, think that they're not uh, doing anything uh, bad. And then there's another category who know exactly uh, what they're doing and who uh, sort of take advantage of the fact that we are in front of the camera, that we are live and that we're probably not going to uh, react in order uh, to uh, kiss or do a worse, rope us and usually uh, do uh, things and touch us in places that are not shown. Is she human? She doesn't breathe. She's amazing. Camera and that makes yeah. it hard for us uh, to show what's uh, going on. So it is a difficult uh, environment. And the sad thing is that uh, I've uh, personally uh, come to uh, find it a little bit, not the groping, of course, but uh, the kisses, the unwanted hugs. I've come to see it as, uh, unfortunately, a part of uh, the job. And I think that uh, in these past few days, uh, seeing the reaction of my colleagues and of some of the other uh, female reporters uh, here, I realized that, no, it's not a part of the job it's not normal and i shouldn't have uh, to uh, put up uh, with that not to of course to be fair uh, this is a minority it is a visible minority but a lot of the other fans have been uh, very uh, respectful i've even seen sometimes groups of uh, men with one of the men trying to come and uh, bother us and uh, his friends, for example, telling him, no, stay away, leave her alone, she's working, and that's really what it is. We're trying to do our jobs. We know that they're enjoying, they're celebrating, and yes, come and sing with us, come and a chance, show your appreciation for your team, uh, but uh, the message is uh, let us do our, uh, our work and stay a little bit far from us. Actually, I thought she was pretty restrained. Yeah. Yeah, she was. Well, there was a Brazilian, uh, one of the Brazilian journalists who... Um, in the middle of her report. Um, also, actually, I thought was relatively restrained in how she dealt with it, but mm. she literally dealt with it live on camera, which was quite... Some drunken lout just tried to give her a pash. Yeah. While and, she was reporting um, on the I've sport. I've got her name, Julia Gumareas. Um, it's probably Julia, mm. isn't it? She, Brazilian, it could be J. I don't know. Oh, yeah, Julia. Yeah, yeah. no, they, they do have a jeff. Georgie. Uh, anyway, she dealt with it on camera. I think you've got that too, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, here she goes. 
So vamos lá. She fought back. Yeah. yeah, and it was just a verbal. She just, she literally just said the words: mm. "Don't do this to a woman. Never yeah. do this to a woman. It's not. I didn't ask for you to do this." And I thought that was pretty great. Yeah. Um, the other, the, the, it reminded me a little bit of the. There's a video going around Facebook at the moment of a waitress who got groped in a American restaurant this week, and she basically karate flipped the guy on the floor. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's kind of seems to be uh, a bit of a running theme at, in, at the moment, you know. But I think, yeah, anyway. Okay. We'll take a short break. We'll be back. Uh, we do have to touch on it. Lauren Southern uh, coming to New Zealand along with the Molyneux guy. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. The previous host, Vaughan Davis, has used a lot of cologne. The headphones I've got on... I just, I'm just going to reek mm. as if I'd been with a man. Um, after this is, oh, <laughs> goodness sake, far out. It's really, really strong. Um, but, you know, this, we, we battle on. This is the yeah. sort of soldier-like. Do you uh, think you've had an injury? Uh, an injury, battling um, cologne fumes. Yep. Um, not even sure if it's Vaughan. Anyway, it's it's pretty rich. It could have been someone from last week. Has Greg Johnson been in here? He's he's got that bad. Um, he puts a lot on. Not, I am always wondering if that was a little. You you did give the the headphones to me just to have a little sniff off. I did, yeah. And, you can um, vouch for me. I'm not yeah, making no, this no, up. Yeah, no, you're not making it up. I did have a little sort of lady lady perfume sensibility. Oh, do you to think me. so? Yeah, no, it might be a lady a lady with. Okay. Yeah, ladies, a ladies fragrance. All right. Okay, now uh, Lauren Southern. Um, this from TVNZ. Hey guys, Lauren Southern here with Stefan Molyneux. This is their promotional video designed to sell tickets. What else are they supposed to be designed for? I don't know, I just think this, that people are just trying to desperately put these people into some sort of Nazi cubby hole of the extreme alt right. I'm not they're trying very hard to find it. I don't think it's there. Doesn't mean I like what everything she says. It doesn't mean nothing like this at all, but it's a sense of desperation. Will you become another victim of multiculturalism? They are far-right commentators with controversial views on race and gender. There is no third, fourth, fifth, or 700th gender. There are two. Nuclear power is excellent. I wish I had a gun on me. They've touched down in Melbourne for a show tonight. Okay, those was that the worst they could find of them? Uh, nuclear power's good. Um, multiculturalism hasn't worked. Well, that means wish I had a gun. Wish I had a gun. I think Angela Merkel. We'd have to band her. I, th I think she. It's, it's all three. But does she, does she want a gun too? Probably hmm. in the dark of night. Yeah. Um, David Cameron. Multiculturalism hasn't worked. Mm. Um, it's, she's not as radical as people make out, and this is the worry when you start yelling, Nazi, Nazi, this is an extreme right-wing, odious, horrible, horrible... Hor she says the most... believes the most awful things. And people go, oh, really? And I go and have a look and see, well, OK, but she ain't a Nazi. Um, she's not a white supremacist. And you call these people all these names, and then you, you look like an idiot, and you actually just feed the right-wing that you're trying to... Um, 
uh, shut up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the fact that... It's backfire. The fact that they've got a whole bunch of media coverage off, yeah. off the back of being banned out of the council venues yeah. is problematic in and of itself. I, I think so as well. Because so these I'm, people aren't the flashiest thing on YouTube. They're not that big. She's an idiot. Yeah. Actually. I mean, I was driven to watch her stuff... And the video that she has as her pinned video, you know, top of her Facebook page, the sort of flagship account video yeah. at the moment, is this stupid thing where she's walking around Melbourne asking people... Baiting them. Baiting people saying, should we kill Lauren Southern? It is this victim mentality that these guys have where they provoke... Uh, mm. they, they say controversial st statements that are probably conservative slash right-wing slash alt-right, whatever you want to do. And and may, I mean, I know that was, we were talking before off-air about the fact that some of her actions around mm. the people, the immigrants coming in on the boats oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was actually problematic, yeah. was endangering people's lives. So I think that in that sense, perhaps she is, you know, more controversial than we might otherwise think. But mm. she's more... Uh, she's more about just pr provo uh, provocative rhetoric rather than mm. sort of for the for the sake of you getting more famous. For the sake of getting more famous. Yeah, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, she's yeah. like the Kim Kardashian of the alt right. Yeah, it's maybe. sort of annoying. Um, her friend Molyneux is just one of the... Goodness me. He's I don't a want, pompous twat. Yeah, he is pompous. I'm he really is say. pompous, isn't he? he She's an does idiot and he's a pompous and twat. He, he really, really rates himself as um, knowing so much about very, very important things and giving people advice. Uh, anyway, OK, that's it. Um, I'm making a point of bagging them to be on the goody-goody side. Um, now... Here they go. They're all yelling Nazi at uh, Lauren Southern in Australia. And she did appear on Aussie TV. I've just got a little thing here. I don't know how much I'll play, but I think it can make a point. People don't actually know what multiculturalism is. In Canada, if you ask people, they'll tell you multiculturalism is people of different skin colours coming into Canada and then assimilating to the culture. That's not what it is. What multiculturalism means is literally multiple cultures in one area. That doesn't work. You can have one culture that plenty of people come to and assimilate to that has the same values, that has the same laws. You cannot have multiple cultures working towards the same goals because they are going to have different needs for the laws of the nation. They're going to have Australia? different needs for the schooling. How do you see Australia then? I know you've only just arrived, but we are different cultures living together here in Australia. Yes, and like much of the West, that isn't going to last for very long. We look at this and we say the multicultural experiment is working because it's been working for 20 years. That's not going to last. We are living off the fumes of greater civilizations. We are living off the fumes of Western culture. And once Western culture becomes the minority view in Western nations, you're not going to have that culture that values freedom of speech. You're not going to have that society that values rule of law. Okay. Um, I think uh, Douglas Murray is more eloquent than, than her. But in any case, she's it's, it's not an artsy. No. And uh, as I say, she's more about... Um, she. Uh, but the other thing, she did an interview with an Australia media outlet and she said that the New Zealand government was being very problematic. Now, the point actually oh. is, Ian Lees Galloway did an interview about the fact that they weren't preventing them from receiving visas. So they have visas to enter the country. Mm. They haven't been banned from other countries. His point as well UK. was... 
that they hadn't been... Has she been banned? I don't think... No, that was his thing. He said if they had been banned from other countries then New Zealand could act in, would have reason to act in kind. But they have been prevented from entering countries for specific purposes. Okay. And in this instance, their purpose is coming to speak in New Zealand. The government doesn't have a right to to revoke a visa or or not not grant a visa on that basis. She's blaming the government for for for, she's she's just getting Phil Goff mixed up with Laura. No, what's uh, Jacinda? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I so I mean, she's calling. She's, <laughs> she's 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 equating Auckland City Council with the Labour government. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to say, bitch, please. And all on this, radio. go on. Um, but all of this is just helping them so so much. She's an the, idiot. And the scream. Oh, yeah, should have let her in in the first place. It would have been. It's a, not even what she's saying. It's that she's an idiot. Yeah. That's my problem with her. If mm. she was clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, by her rationale, maybe she should be an Ashkenazi Jew. She might have a higher IQ. <laughs> oh. Burn. Okay. Now, uh, hashtag walk away. Have we got time for this? Crikey, maybe. Oh. Go on, we won't talk. Oh, okay. <laughs> a dude, a hairdresser in New York put this up online. It went mental. Once upon a time, I was a liberal. Well, to be honest, less than a year ago, I was still a liberal. I became a liberal because I felt I'd found a tribe whose values align with my own. I staunchly reject racism of any kind. I reject the marginalization of any human being based off of their gender or sexual orientation. I reject tyrannical groupthink. I reject a system which allows an ambitious, misinformed, and dogmatic mob to suppress free speech, create false narratives, and apathetically steamroll over the truth. I reject the acceptance of junk science and superstition to advance ideological agendas. I reject hate. These are the reasons why I became a liberal. And these are the same reasons why I am now walking away. For years now, I have watched as the left has devolved into intolerant, inflexible, illogical, hateful, misguided, ill-informed, un-American, hypocritical, menacing, callous, ignorant, narrow-minded, and at times, blatantly fascistic behavior and rhetoric. Liberalism has been co-opted and absorbed by the very characteristics it claims to fight against. For years now, I've watched as people on the left have become anesthetized to their own prejudices and bigotry, and the prejudices and bigotry of those around them who echo their values. Okay, goes on. It's quite a long thing. Well, Mm. not that long, but I mean long for the radio. You get the picture. Now, it went mental, but um, it sounds very flash, doesn't it? and I thought, look, is he a sock puppet? Is he um, is he being employed by somebody else to try and undermine uh, the Democrats? Mm. Are these things real? Um, and while trying to find out, somebody else had done the research for me. I do recommend this guy. I think he's pretty smart uh, at media analysis. His name's Tim Pool. So I think we'll get this in. We'll let him do it. Since the launching of this video, he's been getting a ton of attention. Almost immediately, he got hundreds of thousands of views. And as of today, between Facebook and YouTube, the campaign has nearly 2 million views. The goal of the campaign is to get other people to use the hashtag walkaway and detail why they did or will walk away from the mainstream left. Because of this, we've seen sort of a kickback. There are now news organizations claiming that some of the people pushing this are bots. There are robots that are simply propping up this trend and it's not real. 
Others are saying it's true. Many people are actually pulling away from the mainstream left. The original video on Facebook, as of today, has 65,000 shares and 1.6 million views. That's actually not a whole lot relative to what Facebook videos tend to get. I'd love to pull up an objective source that I think is going to do a good job, but for the most part, mainstream media and alternative media, they have their bias, and it's clearly reflected in how these articles are written. From the Washington Post, the walkaway meme is what happens when everything is viral and nothing matters. I did some digging through various analytic services to try and figure out if walkaway was actually popular. It would seem like there are a decent amount of people who actually are using the hashtag walkaway, but they're estimating around 12,200 tweets for the hashtag walkaway. I decided to dig in to related hashtags using the service hashtagify.me. The most used hashtag in relation is MAGA. Make America great again. If the most common hashtag is MAGA, I have to wonder, is this really Democrats who are telling their stories about how they walked away, or is it Trump supporters who are encouraging others to walk away? But walk away is real. It absolutely is real. So do I think this is a massive campaign that's going to push millions of people out of the Democratic Party? Absolutely not. However, it doesn't take that many people to swing an election. And walk away is a real phenomenon. All right. Yeah, Tim Paul. But it's just so hard to know what's real, what's oh. happening, that it could, you know, just so many people with that agenda making up stories to yeah. uh, in, encourage it. But wow. he is he is real. And it's actually quite an eloquent, eloquent speech. His name, if you want to look him up, uh, Brayman Straka. Brayman Straka. Okay, um, there is a prejudice against vaping, I think, happening. Uh, I noticed this in the media. How many times do they say cigarettes in this? They say e-cigarettes. I'll tell you now. In the video, in the thing all about vaping, which mm. they called e-cigarettes, I didn't see a single e-cigarette. There wasn't one there. But shall we count them? The number of teenagers trying electronic cigarettes is soaring, according to new research. And now the number of 14 and 15-year-olds in New Zealand trying e-cigarettes is rising fast. In 2007, just 7% of Year 10s had tried e-cigarettes. Cosmic Corner's been selling e-cigarettes for five years. At the moment, e-cigarettes and vaping are totally unregulated. The Ministry of Health says e-cigarettes may help the country reach its goal of smoke-free 2025. Fears e-cigarettes pose their own threat. And there weren't any in it. Seven. Seven, and it's all about eight. It's, um, it's vaping. Anyway, I'm, I, I honestly, why not use the word vape? Weird, eh? Yeah, it is a bit weird. Okay. Uh, maybe they don't know any difference, but it just struck me as, huh? Okay. Um, now, what's his name? Lewis Black. And pulled out the Cosby thing you know, on... On Colbert. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is just uh, similar to you pulled out an example with um, somebody saying that they were concerned about listening to Michael or had reservations listening to Michael Jackson's music in light of accusations that he'd faced and this was it just struck me that this was a similar thing with regard to to Cosby and then uh, up comes like a whole bunch of comics names yeah like a hundred of them and you pick the ones you like you pick the comedy movies you like pick the comic TV shows you like and then you enter the center 
and then you go from place to place, and when you, when you arrive in a it place... It knows you're there, it, and it directs you to the right place? Yes. If I say I like Cosby, does it take me straight to jail? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm gonna, I'm wow. gonna suggest that. Yeah, exactly. yeah I don't know. Uh, I'm just like uh, five. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Tamar, it's been fun. Sorry, we have to up stumps because we've got uh, Ant Timpson on the other side of this commercial break talking about the incredibly strange film festival. Thank you for coming in, Tamar. Thank you. And here's our New Zealand of the accent, accent of the week. It is Peter Gilbert, Canterbury. The fear of eradication or fear of losing your whole herd is the big reason that people aren't showing and shows are cancelling. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. The incredibly strange section enclave of the New Zealand International Film Festival um, is, well, as the title suggests, you're going to see some weird stuff. And the curator of this for many years, both independently and part of the festival, Ant Timpson, who travels the world looking for the absolutely weird stuff. Where are you at the moment, Ant? Um, on an island off Vancouver in Canada called... Um Vancouver Island, strangely enough, oh. and I'm in an area called Tofino, which is kind of like Raglan slash Coromandel sort of vibe. Oh, lovely. That's... Um, Very lovely. Okay, we've, we've got the picture on our minds. Thank you. Okay, what have you managed to gather together that's going to um, shock, surprise, or be incredibly strange? <laughs> um, the full gamut, as always, um, you know, we we have, we have the confronting films, films um, from filmmakers like Gaspar Noé, whose um, shocked festival audiences in the past with films like The Reversible. He's back with his Khan film Climax, mm -hmm. which um, received rave reviews across the board. Uh, pretty much his best work to date is what the critics are acclaiming. And there was one of the only films this year that I didn't even get a chance to see. I just programmed it blind, which um, I'm not a fan of for, for obvious reasons, but when you're offered a, a new Gaspar Noe, he doesn't really make that many films. And um, based on his prior track record, I was pretty happy to take it sight unseen. But yeah, that's the only one that I couldn't get hold of before selection time. Okay, it says it's a blazingly original, extremely disturbing film, a psychotropic street dance movie that turns into an orgiastic horror trip. <laughs> Great. What else, what else do you need? No. Um, it, is a, it is an experience. Like all his films, if anyone who's seen things like Into the Void, they are majorly big screen experiences. You're not going to get it on your iPhone. Um, you're not going to get it sloughing out on your laptop. This no. is something you need to get your bum along to a cinema to see. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, this year we've got everything from, you know, pretty um, droll comedies, like films like An Evening with Beverly Laughlin, and I've sort of got a bit of history with the director. We did a film together called The Greasy Strangler, which we played at the festival um, oh, yeah, yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah, and so this is his new one. He sort of uh, left the, the grungy independent world of low-budget films that we were doing and actually got a cast people like uh, Aubrey Plaza, Craig Robinson, and, uh, of course, uh, New Zealand's own Jermaine Clements, who uh, steals every scene he's in in the film. And it's, uh, it's you know, it's a farce. It's, a, it's really a heist film that goes wrong and becomes a very sweet love story by the end of it. And, um, yeah, highly recommended for people who 
like a comedy that doesn't play by the book. Okay, and also I'm looking at a very famous actor's bloody face. He loves doing the incredibly <laughs> strange, bless him, Nicolas Cage and Mandy. Yeah, now look, Cage has got a, you know, a crazy history, you know, someone who's been the highest echelons of acting accolades, and then he's also done films where he's just completely unhinged and gone full beast mode in them, and they're they're wild um, misfires. And you know, anyone who's seen the Wicker Man remake will understand how deep and uh, loopy Nick Cage can go when he's left to his own devices. But this is uh, this is a director who welcomed the full Cage, um, and it's by a guy called Panos Cosmatos, who's Dad was a rather famous director. He used to do uh, films with Chuck Norris, like Invasion USA. But his son is very much someone who grew up loving Stanley Kubrick and European art films. And his first film, Beyond the Black Rainbow, was just you know a stunning, surreal sort of um, psychological horror. And this Mandy is it's impossible to describe, so I'm not even going to do it. It's just a film that is an assault. It's got the Carpenters music in it it's oh. got acid by wasps thing it's got heavy metal covers come to life it's got i mean it's got it's got everything and more you're <laughs> you're actually most intimately involved with i understand this thing called the field guide to evil now i'm i find what it says uh, about it really really interesting i want to go and see it it's um covering folk tales yeah, so um, a friend of mine, we had a history of making these sort of anthology films in the past where we went to directors that we really liked their work of and assembled them and uh, let them create these sort of small vignettes that we put together as feature films. But this time we wanted to sort of curate uh, directors that had a sort of um, art house sensibility and then get them to study sort of dark folklore from their country of origin, sort of stories that we hadn't really seen brought to cinematic uh, life before so we approached eight filmmakers and gave them the pitch and um and they went to town really and we got this wonderful sort of um portmanteau of stories from across europe um and then uh everything else in between from india uh through to greece and right across to the u.s and um yeah they're just stories that you know when we first thought about folklore we you know the obvious ones that sort of spring to mind have all sort of been um, tried out and played out in various cinematic forms. So it was interesting that they went to stories that we really haven't seen before. Um, yeah. So and it was a, it was great how they all there's sort of themes that sort of weave through all the stories because you know obviously all these sort of folklore come from you know a, a couple of you know a handful of stories that sort of develop over time and they change and but the original sort of ideas and themes are, are all very much very similar yeah and they're morality tales sometimes too aren't they and they so often encompass really really high levels of evil when you analyze them and and think about it yeah i mean they they had to soften them up as they as um the centuries went by but yeah the original ones were all grotesque and very much sort of um, used as punishment sort of guides yeah. to, to terrify children into being uh, morally good um, and ethically uh, well-behaved little little brats. So, um, you know, so this is... Um, and a lot of them obviously de deal with, um, you know, the original sins and 
Um, it's just, yeah, it's really, yeah, it was just fascinating to watch um, directors delve deep into their, into their rich history. And, I, yeah, I'd love to see more folklore being sort of brought to life. Okay, you've had the curatorship of The Incredibly Strange for a while. I had a chat with Bill Goldston about the 50 years of the this film festival yeah. and some of the more controversial times. There were some great stories. Uh, he blames you for most of the things that happened. Um, so what have been the most, putting you on the spot, uh, but I'm sure you'll have fond memories, the most controversial times with The Incredible Strange, Incredibly Strange Film Festival? Well, I mean, for, for sheer controversy, it was probably the, the ones when we were a standalone event, pretty much, yeah. before we got absorbed. There hasn't been much controversy since um, we've been under the, the big wing of um, the international because the loopholes that existed in the classification of us and also the, you know, the guys that ran the Society for Promotion of Community Standards have sort of moved on to other targets. Um, and left films alone because they just, you know, they realised there was a red flag to a bull and audiences rushed to see films like Bays Moir and Irreversible and, and, these, and other films that we played in the festival. So those were sort of the moments that, you know, ending up in the high court over films like Irreversible were probably um, massive highlights. But we used to, the funniest thing is that, you know, we used to protest against the International Film Festival and it shows what a complete sellout age does to you when um, <laughs> you start off being being the wild, rebellious uh, underground film festival and um, pelting stones and uh, burning effigies of, of, of Bill Gosden and then you end up going with cap in hand and saying, please, sir, can we, can we program a section of your festival? Uh, very humbly. Uh, but yeah, it's been great fun um, being let loose and and then trying to perverse mainstream audiences still. Um, but, you know, now we've got this sort of uh, badge of authenticity from, uh, from the uh, Wellington office. Why did, they, why did you end up in court with that movie? What was the problem? Oh, uh, they, they, you know, they basically tried to get an injunction to stop the film being played uh, because they disagreed with a point of law uh, that the Board of Review, um, you know, had with the film. So it was just, it was just a semantic, basically, that was holding the film up, which was the stupid loophole, which suddenly everyone realised that there was a way to stop films playing in film festivals just because of the nature of the, pro the due process of law yeah. and the time involved would actually just kill the um, any chance of screening. So, the, yeah, they kind of uh, remedied that. Okay.